Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I guess as a seeking teenager, there came a point in my life that said, you know what, I want to screen out all the gobbledygook that I hear out there, and I want to know what does the Bible really have to say, and I want to know it scientifically, archaeologically, historically, I want to know it in the original languages, I want to study this book objectively and not through a filtered denomination. I want to know what did Scripture have to say. And after I went through that, I found out that the scriptures do not contradict one another. In fact, the more you study scripture, the seeming contradictions begin to fade away as you develop line upon line, precept upon precept, to know truth. So that's why it is important to do this. Now those of you, and we have a couple here today, I won't identify them, they're here specifically because they heard our radio program. Our radio program is called Make It Clear. And it is my heartfelt passion today. Listen carefully, I'm going to power down a little bit. The passage I'm speaking on is tough enough for believers in Christ to fully understand, let alone those who are outside the faith looking in the windows to see what is all this Christian stuff and tongues and fire and wind and all. What is all this about? And so it's my passion that I could explain this passage with my frail ability as clearly as possible as well as correctly. So I'd like as much as possible you to lean into this. I assure you there'll be parts of this that you may not understand right now. Watch this. Even if you don't understand it now, there is enough in here that you will understand. And I pray that you will objectively and seriously and maturely continue to investigate this. And you will find that it is not a lot of razzle-dazzle and weird stuff. That it's all truth. Now that is just about all my introduction before I get into the text. My last bit of introduction is this. When we look at this passage about the coming of the Holy Spirit and all of the passion of Him coming and we see all of this, what you're going to see is enough information of what the New Testament apostles and the 120 and the groups of people at that moment, Acts chapter 2, they got enough information, watch this, that the Lord wanted them to have then. It's the knowledge that they needed then, but that doesn't mean that's all the knowledge there is about what happened. That's why if you look up here, I hold my Bible. We have the Old Testament here. We have Acts right here. And then as I flip further, you're going to see there are more pages. Now, we know that everything we're reading in the book of Acts is new material when you compare it to the Gospels in the Old Testament. So there's new truth. It's not contradicting. It's just opening it up like a beautiful rosebud turning into a beautiful rose flower. But look over here. I still have much more to cover as we begin to teach the rest of this, which now will, here it is, commentate on what we're going to learn today. So when you see this, it is all accurate, but it's like a beautiful rose bud. But as you continue to go through the epistles, the other letters of Paul and the other writers, Peter, etc., it'll open it up more and more and more. That's why we who preach and teach, we want you not to miss, especially if you're going expositionally, to miss anything because it all comes together. And so today will be that. So now, let's just ask you, do you sometimes have difficulty understanding Scripture when you go through it? If that's true, say, "Uh uh-huh. All right? Now, that's true, and that's why the Holy Spirit came, to help teach us. Have you ever had a time that you were trying to remember something through Scripture and you couldn't remember where it was, and then you said, oh, man, Lord, help me. I don't remember where that verse was. Where is that? Where is that again? And all of a sudden, you were able to find it just like that. That was the Holy Spirit. He brought it back to your remembrance. How many of you were going through life and all of a sudden you did something that you either knowingly or unknowingly missed the mark on that 
And you said, you know, that is really wrong. I should not have done that. Oh, man, that is wrong. That's the conviction of the Spirit letting you know with your conscience that you missed the mark right then. That was the Holy Spirit. How many of you found yourself as a believer in Christ? Now, you wanted to do something. You thought, that is so big, so huge. That's such a, a ta- I don't mean like lifting a truck or something, but this, this uh, responsibility you had was so huge. I really can't do it. But you went to the Lord and you went into that responsibility. And as you look back, you see, wow, I was able to do that. That was the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you, have you ever found time that you've suffered a loss, a job, a situation of a possession, something that was very near and dear to you, and you were really broken about it, but somehow, mystically, it didn't eliminate the hurt and the pain of the loss, but there was an unusual comfort that came alongside you, an unusual amount of strength that you didn't have before where you thought, I would never be able to face that. I want you to know that was the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's just a few of the over 18 different ministries of the Holy Spirit. I'm saying that to say this. All those ministries were unleashed at the beginning of the church when the Holy Spirit came. So that's why we need to understand the ministry of the Spirit and the launching of the church because we who are the church, because we trusted in Christ, we are recipients of the grace of the Lord through the ministries of the Holy Spirit that helps us to function where that we will prevail. Full circle back to the first point. The church will never be extinguished. That's the ministry of the Spirit. Are you ready to take off on our study? I'm ready to share this with you. So let's go. Acts chapter 2. In verse 1, you're going to see a transitional concept here. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come. Chapter 1 is talking about the 40 days after Jesus Christ was here. And the word Pentecost means 50th. So now we're seeing a transition from when Christ was here and then when he left. And I like to say it, the disciples in chapter 1 were told to wait around for the Spirit to come. In chapter 2, the Spirit came. They didn't have to wait any longer. In chapter 1, they were being equipped. In chapter 2, the Spirit empowered the disciples or apostles. In chapter 1, they were held back. In chapter 2, they were unleashed to go throughout all the world. In chapter 1, Jesus finally not only resurrected, but he left the earth and he ascended. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came in his place, and so the Holy Spirit descended. So here's what you're learning. We're learning that the book of Acts is really a transitional book on theology. It's not going to transition to contradict. It's just going to continue to add and to build on the same premise. God gets all the glory in him alone, and people are saved, forgiven of sin, by faith alone. So it's a transitional point. So when you see when the day of Pentecost had come. Now, when you read the word Pentecost, that's a word we hardly ever say. When was the last time you could remember ever saying the word Pentecost? Would you say it with me? Pentecost. That's your first time for some of you, isn't it? The word Pentecost means 50, like the word dozen means 12, like the word tithes means 10th, like the word trio means three. So Pentecost means 50. This would be 50 days after the ascension, or in this case, the Sabbath of the Lord, the passage of the Passover of God. Now, what that 50-day means is it was one of three main feasts that the Jews would celebrate. The first feast would be the Feast of Passover. The second would be the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the third would be the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Passover, or Feast of Pentecost. Now, the reason there is three feasts in there is because the first feast, which is Passover, is representing the future coming of Christ that would die and pay for sin. Unleavened Bread was the feast of, and I love this so much, the resurrection 
the first fruits of those who died. And then finally, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost is a symbol of the Holy Spirit coming and that would be the, of, of the, the Spirit coming and the church starting and the first fruit of all those of the first believers. And so these are our, our ancestors in Christ and that happens at that particular time. But there's something else and this is key. Listen up. Remember this message that's to go out, they have to wait for the Spirit to come before it's launched. The Feast of Pentecost brought so many people that were Jews back into Jerusalem, Jerusalem again so that when the message is now preached, all of a sudden you're going to see so many people, literally thousands of people that are going to come to faith alone in Jesus Christ and many of them are going to go back to their own cultures and locations with that same message and then through that time as the apostles go, you're going to see Christianity spread like wildfire in those days. So they brought all these people in, that feast did. And then when this happened, that gave it a, a wonderful, a golden opportunity for them to hear this and for the message to go out. So when it says here, when the day of Pentecost had come, it wasn't just some accident, this is when it came on the calendar. It was strategically planned by a sovereign God. It says they were all together in one place. So how the Spirit was revealed, these guys were together in one place. Now who were the they? I believe it was the new 12 apostles, the 11 new and the new one makes it 12. There was the 120, as we studied in chapter 1. So there was about 120 plus people in one place, probably the same place when they were uh, meeting together for prayer, probably the same place where the Last Supper was served with Jesus. And so here they are in that one place, and verse 2 says, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Let's take it from the backside of verse 2. It says where they were sitting. So I don't believe they were praying because the Jews would pray in a lot of different postures, but one posture was a rare posture to pray in was sitting. Secondly, they weren't pleading for the Spirit to come. They were waiting, knowing that he was supposed to come. So the Spirit of God came at God's sovereign time and place. They were just all together being there, waiting for the Spirit to come. Go back up to the first part of verse 2. It says, And suddenly there came from heaven. So in other words, there wasn't like a time of day that it would show up. It was a particular sudden event that occurred. And it said there was this, an interesting, from heaven, a noise like a violent rushing wind. Let me make this real clear to you. What came at that time when the Spirit came was not a supernatural windstorm. It says it was like a wind. It was a noise like a wind. Have any of you um, lived through, I, I guess if you're alive, you lived through it, <laughs> a tornado? Have you ever heard stories of people say, I was in my house and I heard this horrible wind and it sounded like a freight train was coming through my house? Have you ever heard a testimony like that? Would you raise your hand? Okay, lots of you have. Maybe you've even heard that. That does not mean that there was this mystical freight train that was flying over your house. It happened to be a tornado. In this case, they didn't know what it was. It was a sudden noise. They never heard this sound before. So the closest they could get it would be the sound of a rushing, mighty, tornadic um, wind. And so they would describe it that way. But you need to know it wasn't like it was blowing the candles out through some kind of a seance. It was a sound that came in like the wind. Now, some of you are thinking, the wind, that's somehow, wouldn't that go back to the spirit? It absolutely does. The word spirit in the Greek is the word pneuma. We get our word pneumatic uh, hammer, pneumatic wrench, pneumatic uh, um, tool to help put our tires on. That's wind, pneumatic. So I want you to know it's that aspect of wind. Now, it wasn't wind, but it's like wind. If you recall in the Old Testament, it says the Lord spoke. That's like wind. He spoke. And when he spoke, there was dry bones that came to life, a miraculous thing that happened as a sign of what God's going to do with Israel. And we see him doing that right now. Now, those of you that are in our Hawaiian culture, you know that we say the word aloha. 
And we will quickly say that means we love you or hello or goodbye. It has tons of different meanings because it's morphed. Now, it's not totally wrong, but more of the technical purest of the phrase aloha is alo, A-L-O, is presence or it's in your face. It's right up close to you. And the last, H-A, is ha. And when you do ha, ha, breath, if I have no breath, that means I'm dead. So if I have breath, that means I'm alive. So when I ha at you, that means I'm taking my life and in some way I'm infusing my energy, my life into you. I'm breathing that life, that presence. And so they would do this many years ago. You don't see them doing it now. Is that when they would greet one another, not like the Eskimos wiggling noses, but they would touch noses. And when they would speak, it would be like, I am taking all I am in my life and I'm infusing in you. You're doing it back to me. So we are now one. So when we express love, it's whatever you need is my need. However, I can help you. Whatever it is, I will do that for you. It's this unusual connectivity of love. So when you see the word wind here, a little symbol of that could be the same thing. Ha, the Lord is going to breathe into those who know Christ as Savior, His eternal life spirit. Now, I don't have time to unpack this as if you're in a theology class in seminary, but there's a lot more that would unpack the whole idea of the wind. In your notes, you might want to just simply say that the symbol of the Lord coming through the Holy Spirit was a sound or a noise. And so write the word audible there. You see it up on the screen. It's audible. It's something that they heard, something that they haven't experienced. The closest to it would be a rushing mighty wind sound. So there was a noise that came. Let's go a little bit further in the passage. It filled the whole house where they were seated. So it wasn't in one little corner. It was everywhere. My belief, it was because all of those people who were present were believers and the Spirit now is coming. Now, listen carefully. Listen, listen carefully. This does not mean that every time you trust Christ as Savior, you're going to hear a mighty wind, folks. You, you trust Christ once, there is no wind, so it's not about hearing it. So your question is, is why then and not now? Why then and not now? This is key. This, this, this you're going to take to the bank. Why this happened with the wind and with the fire-looking thing, like tongues? It was because they had never experienced the Spirit like that before. They had to know that this was something supernatural. So God decided to put on a kind of fireworks display as this was happening because it was promised that He, the Spirit, would come. Why don't we have to do that today? Because we don't need it to happen today because the Spirit is in people today. We now have Scripture that says the Spirit is in people today. Now stay with me. When this happened here, as you continue to open up Scripture, you're going to find what the Spirit does through the revealed Word of God. They did not have the rest of the New Testament. They did not have the rest of Acts. They were just doing what was happening. 120 plus people just sitting there waiting for this Spirit that's supposed to come. I could only imagine that some of them were saying, baptized with the Spirit, that's good. What does that mean? What's going to look like? How will we know? What do we have? They're all convincing, but what's it going to look like? How's it going to Have you had it yet? Did you get it yet? And they're all wondering, and all of a sudden, whoo! The Spirit came. But that wasn't enough. It wasn't just audible. Go back to the passage. It says, And there appeared to them tongues as of fire. Now, first of all, you have to understand there was no lightning bolt. There was no fire there. It says tongues as of fire. Now, there's two words in this passage. One is tongues and the other is languages. This word tongues could refer to the organ, mouth organ. I don't mean a harmonica. Uh, uh, tongue. So maybe these fire-like images, for them to best describe it was it was like fire in the sense it may have flickered. It was like a looking like a tongue, 
Something was there visibly. So they heard the sound. The Lord says, okay, you heard the boom. It's like you go into a fireworks display. You hear this, you know, it's going to happen any second. And then boom. So you hear it and then you see it at that time. We don't have that today. Why don't we have to have it today? Because God says the spirit comes. Here's how you're going to know it. I said so. You have it. That's it. Back in those days, he had to experience it. So now you have this tremendous visual thing that's going on because they're able to see it through this fire-like tongue thing that's happening at that time. And it says, distributing themselves, and they, this tongue-like experience that was happening to them, rested on each one of them. Now, I'm going to have to get a little deep for you here, and I hope you can follow a little bit. In Acts chapter 1, it's talked about them being baptized by the Spirit. Now, the word baptized is not found in this passage when the Holy Spirit came. So the question is, if it didn't happen, if it said it did, but it's not written here, the word baptized, does that mean it didn't happen? The answer is, yes, it did happen, even though they didn't use the word baptized. The word baptized means nothing more than to immerse or to whelm. And so when I immerse someone in water, now we're not talking about being baptized and all, but, but if we were to put you in water now to baptize you, we would take you like we did a couple of weeks ago when we had our big five-day five camp. That Sunday, we baptized and when we did, we took the young person, or those who were baptized, we brought them underwater, and then we popped them back out again. When they came back out again, I promise you, every hair on their head and every part of, particle of skin was wet. It was totally immersed. In this case, the Spirit totally immersed every one of them. Now stay with me, stay with me. Into what then became known as the body of Christ. That's why in this passage right here, it is not to be merely symbolic that every time you trust Christ, you speak in tongues, you've got to hear a sound, all this wild stuff happens. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that when the church first started, that's what happened then. But when we look at other scripture, which I'll give you in your list in a moment here, different things are happening by the spirit that we know now. And this was the formation of the church when they were baptized with the spirit through these different kinds of sounds and sights that were symbolic of who he was, the spirit coming to them. So they were baptized at that moment. Go back to the passage, if you will. And so it says, And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. I'll talk about that in a second. Look at the first part. It says, And they were all filled. So what you want to do is maybe draw a line between verse 3 that says that the fire, this tongues-like issue... Spirit of God rested on each one of them. Verse 4 says they were all filled, so there was nobody that was left out. It happened to everyone. Everyone was present. They were all believers in Christ. We already established that in previous messages. So since that was happening, the church was now coming together at that time. The baptism occurred, and they were then filled with the Spirit of God. Now, take a moment, if you will, and you might want to look back at your notes, because what I'd like to show you here is understanding three important terms. I'm not going to have the time to take you through all the different passages, but I wanted you to understand this. Now, take a deep breath, folks, because um, as I go through this, some of this is going to be so new to you. Others of you are going to finally say this, man, I finally got it now. So what you're going to see are three entities, three terms of what the Holy Spirit does to those who know Christ as Savior. The beginning part of that is in Acts chapter 2. The rest of this is opened up like a beautiful rose as you read 1 Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, etc. So let's look at the three terms. You're going to write them right across the top of each list. The first is what is known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit. The second is the word 
you were indwelt by the Spirit. I'll explain what these mean in a second. Baptism of the Spirit, indwelling of the Spirit, and number three is the filling of the Spirit. These are three things that happen to those who know Christ as Savior. They are three done by the Holy Spirit, and they are three that are still a little different. Let's look at the baptism. It occurs only once in a believer's life. When you trust Christ as Savior, look up here. You are baptized. That means you are taken on the outside of faith and you're put inside of faith. You're on the outside of the universal church. You're placed inside the universal church. Doesn't mean you join a local church. It means you're a believer. You're part of all believers all, all over the world. Second, baptism. You're taken outside of faith now and you're now placed into the body of Christ with Christ as being head. Now, I could keep on going through six other metaphor illustrations from Scripture directly, but that's what the baptism. You are now immersed in this. It happened the moment you trusted Christ. No wind sound, no fire-like tongues. It happened momentarily right when you trusted Christ. Go across the page. Indwelling, that occurs once when you trust Christ as Savior. Look up here again. This is so huge. This is why this is so critical. He takes me, the entity of me, not my body, but me, and he places me now in Christ. That's the baptism. But in addition to that, while that's happening instantly, not first and second, instantly, what happens then is the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me. So Christ, Holy Spirit, is inside of every single one of you who've trusted Christ as Savior. How many here are positive that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Would you raise your hand? Okay. You have him, not it, like a power source, you have him, the Holy Spirit, inside of you. You received all of him the very moment you trust Christ. If you were seven years old and you trusted Christ, you got all of him right then. At that very moment as a seven-year-old, you were baptized into the body of Christ. We had a lady last week who was 88 years old. This year, she trusted Christ. At age 87, she was taken into the body of Christ into the universal church. At 87, she trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit, and dwelt her. That's Baptism and dwelling. Now, here's where it gets a little, little different. Now with the filling. It says it is a repeated experience. We are nowhere in Scripture commanded to be baptized by the Spirit. That's something God sovereignly does. Nowhere in Scripture we're told to be indwelt by the Spirit. That's sovereignly done by the Lord. All we do is trust Christ, and that happens passively from our point of view on us. Filling is different. We are all commanded not only to be filled, here it is, but to be continually filled. Now, some of you are saying, what does it mean to be filled? I thought indwelling and filling, aren't they the same? I'm with you, folks. I don't like the word filling. That's how they translated it here. It's probably good because what they want you to understand is that the Holy Spirit has so much influence in your life, it kind of fills you like a tank so that everything is happening, every part of you. I prefer not the word filling. I prefer the word influence. I prefer the word that might say that it's so much affecting you that it affects every area of your life. Have you known people that um, perhaps they um, had anger and they were called filled with rage? Well, I don't know if rage is in their little finger or not, but I, I know that they are so filled with it, they're, they're influenced by this anger attitude and they have that rage that goes out. That's infilling. Have you known someone that had too much wine or alcohol when they drank it? I know the chemical went inside of them. I know that stuff went inside of them, but it's the influence of that that now controlled them that made them do or not do the things that they should or should not have done. So that's the filling. That's different. Now, when you hear all that, you think, does that mean when I trust Christ and I begin to let the Spirit take control of me, I'm going to be like a drunk man? No, 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 no. How you demonstrate your filling of the Lord, the Spirit, is by, Scripture says in Ephesians, you're going to have a grateful heart. Secondly, you're going to be singing praises unto the Lord. Your music will change. Thirdly, you're going to be submitting one to each other that there's nobody trying to be the head hog at the trough. 
Fourthly, there's going to be a demonstration of genuine, authentic love for one another. Next, you're going to be obedient to the Lord. So there's going to be a change in you when the Spirit is taking control of you. Now, if you will, you can follow along in your own time through the rest of the list that I provided for you in your notes so you can see the contrast between the baptism, the indwelling, and the filling. But the one thing you want to know, that happens to only those who have trusted Christ as Savior. That is huge, folks. That is beautiful, and it's wonderful when it happens to us. And by having Him inside of us, That's what gives us all of the Godhead and all of that that helps us to be what God wants us to be as well. Let's go back to the passage now. All right, it says here, and they were all filled with the Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues. All right, if you want to, in your notes there, you could write the word vocal. So you have the audible with the sound like a mighty wind. You have the visual with the tongues that look like fire. And now you have the vocal where people are now speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance or the clear ability to speak. If you will look up here for just a second and see if I can make this clear. You're going to see in your Bible the word tongues, then tongues again, and then you're going to hear the word language. The first one says tongues as a fire. So in other words, that probably is referring to some type of an organ that looks like tongue. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.